Well, not too long ago, I uh, pulled my van into the Walmart parking lot, and I was about to run into the store for some groceries uh, before heading back to the house. And I, you know, I searched for the nearest parking spot I could find, and I pulled in, and my mind was already running ahead to the things that I would need to get once I got inside the store. And so, uh, but all of a sudden, my entire train of thought came to a, a jarring halt. I turned off the car, and as I was taking the key out of the ignition, it was stuck. I couldn't, I couldn't pull it out. What in the world? This has never happened before, I thought. Well, I, I tried turning the key a few clicks over to see if maybe it would come out if I just adjusted it a little bit from a different position, but, but no success. Maybe I didn't turn off the car correctly, I thought. So I, I turned the key all the way to start the engine once again so I could turn it back off and, and try the whole thing over. But as I turned it to start the engine, nothing happened. Instead of the engine coming to, to life and the familiar hum of, of the engine, there was just stillness and, and silence, except for that strange dinging sound. A few unfamiliar red lights stared at me through the steering wheel. One of them uh, was bright red and it looked like a lightning bolt. Uh-oh, I thought, I, my car must be having some kind of massive electrical failure. This is, that's weird, like I, it hadn't given me any signs that it was running difficultly or about to break down. So I, I sat there for a moment, confusedly staring at my stuck car key and the, that flashing lightning bolt symbol and wondering what to do out of habit, as I usually do when I, when I need somebody to think out loud to, I called my wife. And uh, so I called Jessa on the phone, and I, I didn't plan for this, I thought. I'm stuck here in the Walmart parking lot, I told Jessa, and the key won't come out of the ignition. What should I do? And the van won't even start. I'll probably have to call and get someone to tow me or something. Just so you guys know, I'm not, I'm not much of a mechanic, if you haven't guessed. Um, so I thought, man, man, should I call one of your brothers? I mean, they know a lot about cars. Why can't I get the key out? I mean, this, I can't even start this thing back up. Well, just then, I happened to glance over at the gear shifter. And it was in drive. Oh, I thought, um, maybe that's, that's not supposed to be like that. And so I, I, I shifted it back into park. And then I tried turning the key again. And the engine fired up to life, didn't skip a beat. Well, I'm a genius, I thought to myself. <clears throat> and I ex ex proceeded to explain to Jessa my silly mistake. Well, believe it or not, that, that's, that wasn't the first time I've had trouble getting an engine started, uh, only to realize that something silly was, was keeping me from starting it up. I seem to recall one of my most hated jobs growing up, weed eating, um, and, and I remember going out there on the hot August uh, afternoon, looking at that, that old orange still weed eater, and uh, I would, I'd pull the, the choke string to get it started, and I remember yanking on that thing till the sweat was dripping off my face like a waterfall and my arm was about to fall off, only to realize, oh, I didn't turn it to the on position. Maybe that would help. <laughs> Well, we all have moments like these when we're, we're not at our best. And, and uh, often we like to just forget about them, pretend like they didn't happen. 
Or maybe if, if we don't mind uh, ourselves being the center of a, a good laugh, we might tell them to a, a friend, guess what I did? If we're wise, we'll learn from such experiences. So now I know. I've got to put my car in park when I park it. If I didn't know before. In our calling as followers of Christ, as Christians, we often have moments like these where, where we fail, sometimes embarrassingly, and then we have to figure out, like, what did I do wrong? What, what happened? I mean, God called me to do this. He, he equipped me to do this. He, he promised his help. Why couldn't I carry it out? Why couldn't I, why couldn't I just avoid saying that thing that I, I knew I shouldn't have said? Why couldn't I master my fear? Why couldn't I be more patient, more loving, more courageous right then and there when those things were needed most? Why couldn't I do it? I knew what I was supposed to do, and I just, I just failed. Well, in this morning's text, in Matthew 17, we'll see that Jesus' followers had just such a, a failure. And theirs was a very public failure in this, in this instance. And uh, it, it led them to ask Jesus why. You know, Jesus, what happened? Why couldn't we do it? So please turn in your Bibles, if you will, this morning to Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17. As we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And if you're using the Pew Bible, the black Pew Bible in front of you, you can find this on page 772 this morning. Matthew 17. Uh, and just, just in case you're not uh, as familiar with the Bible, uh, the, the big bold numbers, those are the chapter numbers. And the small little superscript numbers, those are the verses. So Matthew 17, and we're going to be starting in verse 14. Um, but before we start reading, our theme this morning, what we're going to be considering is, is why we sometimes fail in what Christ calls us to do. Why, when we've been told to march forward on the path of obedience, do we sometimes find that our feet are stuck and the only forward we do is to face plant? Why do we fail in what Christ calls us to do? Now, much of this message is going to be directed to the Christian, to you who have already trusted in Christ for salvation. But let me just say a word this morning, just as we get started, in case you're not a Christian this morning, in case maybe you, you haven't repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation, and in case uh, you know, the person on the throne of your life is still you and not the Lord Jesus, let me say a word to you this morning. First of all, all of us, the Bible is very clear, all of us have already failed. I was talking to a friend um, a man a, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how uh, he, was, he was intent on uh, doing more things in Jesus' name so that he wouldn't fail the test. But, but my friends, the Bible is clear with us. All of us have already failed God's test. If we study the law of God and the things that God requires of us, it, it, we, we, don't need, we don't have to go very far through the Ten Commandments to realize that we've broken Many of them, if not all. 
I would say all. But what shall we do about this? You know, the Bible, the Bible gives us this bad news, and, and, and we don't like to think about it because it's, well, it's, it's bad for our self-esteem. It's humbling to, to realize that, oh, we, we've sinned against God, and we've, we've offended God. And, and actually, the, the, what are the consequences of this sin? What is the penalty? It's not, it's not just a little jail time in, in purgatory for, for a short period of time or even for a long period of time. The, the wages of sin, Jesus warned very clearly, is, is death and the second death, which is hell, which is an endless torment, an endless punishment. Uh, Jesus warned about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. He had more things to say on it than anyone else. And, and so my, my, my call to you this morning, if you're not sure whether or not you have peace with God, if you're not sure if you know, something happened to you tonight, and if you died, where you'd be, where you would be spending your eternity, my call to you this morning is to recognize that you've already failed, and now you need to look to the Savior. Jesus Christ didn't fail. He came, God in the flesh, he lived the perfect life that you have failed to live. And then he died to pay the price for your failures, for my failures. He died to uh, taking the punishment that we deserved so that all who believe upon him as a free gift can receive pardon, a full pardon with no probation a full pardon, a full forgiveness from God, adopted into his family, never again to fear that he will cast you away and, and give you the punishment that your sins deserve. Maybe, maybe some of you this morning, maybe this is kind of a new message to you. Maybe you, ha maybe you haven't really heard much about this. Maybe you're still thinking of, you know, you gotta make some kind of deal with God. You gotta try a little harder. Well, let me tell you, you're never gonna be able to try hard enough. You need Mercy, you need a savior. And that is what Jesus Christ came to be. And Jesus' call to you this morning is come unto me, all you that are weary and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. If you have any questions about how you, what, what it looks like to have faith in Jesus and to have him as your savior, I would, I would encourage you this morning, uh, come and talk to me after the service. Ask me, ask me a question. Ask a church member. Hey, you know, tell me about this. I need to have peace with God. I need to know where I'm going when, when he calls me. Well, that's the first thing to recognize. But, but let, me, let me just say this. As Christians, sometimes we think of, of salvation and God's, God's rescue of our souls, and we only think about, you know, oh, yeah, like he saved me so I won't go to hell in the future. But let me, let me just tell you, the Bible is very clear. God also saves us to live differently in this life. Our salvation and the results and the blessings of that salvation start now. And part of the, the blessing of the salvation that God gives us is we get the privilege and the honor of being, being instruments through which other people can, can come to see the love of God and, and experience the love of God. We become as, as pipes through which the love of God flows to this parched and dying world. And so as believers, this is, a, this is a high calling and responsibility, but it's also a great honor and joy. I was driving to church this morning, and I was thinking, 
man, what a blessing that I get to stand in front of you all and remind you of the love and the goodness and the grace of God. I could be doing a lot of things this morning, but, but I don't think I'd rather be doing anything else than what I'm doing right now. But this morning, I want us to think about as, as those who have trusted in Jesus, as we're called now to, to take this love and this grace to the world, sometimes we fall flat on our faces. Sometimes we fail and we, we don't live up to the, the calling that God calls us to, to do in order so that others can also find the forgiveness that we have already found. So why do we fail in what Christ has called us to do? Let's, let's read Matthew 17. I want us to start in verse 14 this morning. We're going to read down to verse 16. The, Jesus and, and his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, they just had this mountaintop experience with Jesus. They had seen him in his, in his heavenly glory, and now, now it's time to get back down to earth. When they, when they reached the foot of the mountain, the scene was not pretty. Jesus' followers, who he'd been mentoring, they were failing miserably in front of even the scribes. Uh, in Mark's account, they, the scribes were arguing with them, we read, because they had failed to do something that Jesus had, had called them to do. Matthew 17, starting in verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, up to Jesus, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Stop there for now. Let's step into the scene for a moment so we can understand what's going on here. So here we have this man who's brought his son to Jesus. And we're told that, that his son, this, this young man, has had, he has frequent seizures and he suffers terribly. And this, evidently, this wasn't just a, a, a neurological disorder. This wasn't just epilepsy. This young man's suffering had a spiritual cause. And we, we see that something is, is, is frightening and, and really just creepy about the way this young man suffers. He has these seizures, but also he has this strange drive to throw himself to his own death. You know, maybe as they're, they're walking down the street and maybe there's a, a blacksmith shop or, or, or maybe they're having a, a campfire and this young man he maybe starts to have the seizure and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, as if, as if driven along or pulled along by some unseen force, he starts running towards the fire throws himself right in. Probably by this time, as, as the father has described, he, he often throws himself into the water, into the fire. This, this poor young man probably was disfigured from many burns. He had, often he would try to drown himself in, in the water. And what we, what we see, what we'll see is that the, this poor young man had a, a demon, an evil spirit, who was oppressing him and was trying to kill him, trying to destroy him. So again, this wasn't just, this wasn't just a neurological malfunction. This was a spiritual oppression. Pastor John MacArthur points out that, 
that open fires and unfenced bodies of water were common in first century Israel, providing ample opportunity for the demon's attempts to destroy the child. And uh, so, so imagine the fatigue of his parents. Imagine the, the father having to keep such a, a constant watch on this young man. Probably, you know, sleeping at night, he probably had to learn to be a light sleeper. I think I, think I hear something. Is that my son? Is he, is he trying to run out the door and throw himself in the lake? Imagine the, the fatigue of this father. But somewhere along the line, he'd heard of, of Jesus and of Jesus' followers and their power, their authority to cast out demons and to heal. And so no doubt he was fatigued, but now his soul was reinvigorated with the fresh air of hope. And he, he brings his son to Jesus. But when he, when he reached Jesus' disciples, disappointment awaited him. There they were, and they had, we learn in verse 16, they had been unable to heal him. They could not heal him. So evidently they had tried. They had tried to heal this young man, but they had failed. Now, it's one thing to not even try. It's one thing to be like, well, you know, that's, this is beyond me. You know, wait for Jesus. But evidently, Jesus' disciples, they had tried. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, we can heal, we can heal him. We can, yeah, we've done this before. All right, bring, bring him over. And all the crowd gathers around. You can imagine everybody watching. And then they, they give the word, maybe, in Jesus' name, come out of this, this young man. But, but nothing happens. Still, the, the, the young man maybe continues to have the seizures. And all the, all the crowd starts looking at the disciples in suspicion. I can imagine maybe one of the other disciples is like, hey, you know, hey, uh, hey, Bartholomew, let me try. Let me try. I got this. Let me try it. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so finally, Jesus shows up just in time, just in time. And when he hears of his disciples' failure, what does he say? Verse 17, he says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Now, go ahead and stop there for a moment. As Jesus is, he gives this kind of outburst of emotion, like how long? Kind of reminds us of some of the Psalms and those how long, those Psalms of lament. And Jesus, you know, I don't think he's just complaining about his disciples. I think he says, how long, uh, he says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. You know, his, his disciples' failure is, is just symptomatic of a, a broader failure of the people of his time. But what is, what is he doing here? As in verse 17, his response right after he, he, he hear, hears about his disciples' failure it gives us a little insight into what, what went wrong, what happened. Why couldn't they cast out the demon? See, that's, Matthew wants us to see that's the surprising thing. The surprising thing isn't that they could cast out demons and heal. The surprising thing here is that they couldn't. Earlier in Matthew, in Matthew 10, we read that, that Jesus had specifically given his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples, authority 
to heal the sick and to cast out demons. So he, they, they should have been able to do this. He'd given them specifically that authority. He'd commanded them to go throughout all the towns of Israel and do it. They had the authority and the ability, and evidently they had done it because here they are, and again, they're surprised, they're confused that they couldn't do it. Like, maybe we've done this before. Why didn't it work this time? Why do we fail in what Christ calls us to do? And Jesus' response, it reveals, as he says, oh, faithless, twisted generation. The, 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 the answer has something to do with faith. That's our first hint as to why they failed. And this brings us to our second point. Without faith, we fail. Without faith, we fail in what Christ calls us to do. The disciples failed because their faith failed. Look at verse 19. You know, uh, well, before we do that, let's, let's I don't want to miss the, the healing itself. So let's read verse 18 before we go there. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. So they, they bring the boy to Jesus, and Jesus rebukes the demon, and, and immediately, you know, it's, it's immediately evident that the, the young man is healed. From that hour, in the, in the uh, King James, it says, that's, that's the more literal translation, from then on, he was healed. But, but really, if you look at this whole story as a whole, the act of healing, the miracle itself, that's contained in just one verse, like just one sentence. Like, oh yeah, and Jesus, Jesus did it. Almost as if he's, he's mentioning it in passing. If you read the, the parallel account of this story in Mark or in Luke, there's a lot more detail given on how Jesus healed and what that looked like. But, but in Matthew's account, as he's writing under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God wants to get across here, uh, the, the emphasis, the focus is not so much on Jesus' ability to heal. Matthew's already showed us that earlier in this gospel. He's already showed us the authority of Jesus over the demons. What he wants to focus on in this story, in this little narrative, the point of it, has more to do with why the disciples failed and what that says about the importance of faith. And so that's why, that's why the focus of this sermon is, is on faith. And without faith, we fail. Without, the, the disciples failed because their faith failed. Jesus, go ahead and, and look at verse 19. You know, after he heals the young man, we, we get this, this inside look at the private conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. You know, there they are. It's almost like, a, it's almost like the, the film room, you know, after, after the, the football team, you know, almost lost the game and, and they get together with the coach. Like, coach, what, what happened? Like, we, why did we fail out there? And he's like, well, let's, let's turn on the film. Let's, let's see what we did wrong. Jesus uh, verse 19 says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately. They'd already been embarrassed enough, right? And they said, why could we not cast it out? Verse 20, he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, 
You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So the reason they failed was that their faith had failed. Now, when we hear this, when we hear because of your little faith, usually I know where my mind has often raced right away is, well, well, there we go. I need to, how can I increase my faith? Almost as if my, like my faith levels have, have gotten low. You know, maybe they're down to like 1%. How can, I, how can I up the percentage? I need to recharge in my faith, Lord. Help me increase our faith. But something I learned this week as I was studying this passage and as I was looking at some other places in the Bible is the, the problem isn't so much the quantity of their faith, it's not so much the amount of their faith. It's not like their, the percentage was too low. It's that they lacked any faith at all, that they didn't bring any faith at all to bear on this situation. You know, a grain of mustard seed, which is what Jesus talks about just after this in verse 20, he says, he says, for truly I say to you, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could move a mountain. Bible scholar R.T. France it points out that that a mustard seed, that was what you would say at this time if you were trying to think of, like, hey, what's the smallest thing I can think of? I, I, you know, what would I say? Well, I'd say it's, it's like a grain of mustard seed. There's nothing smaller than that. It was proverbial for its smallness. And so R.T. France points out that, that faith compared to anything less than a mustard seed would be no faith at all. So really what Jesus is saying here is that if you had any faith at all, you could say to this mountain, be moved, and it would be moved. Another, another text that, that confirms that this is the right way to think about faith is Luke 17, 6. If you want to write this down, you can, uh, you can check me on it. Don't just take my word for it. But Luke 17, 6, the disciples come to Jesus with this question. They say, they say Lord, increase our faith. Like, we need more, Jesus. Like, you know, maybe we're, we're feeling low, like, our, our, our faith tank is on E. And Jesus, he responds, and he says, in Luke 17, 6, he said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So, so there, they're asking him, Lord, we need a little more. And he's saying, listen, even if you had any, even if you had the smallest amount, you could do the most impossible. Because because it's not so much about whether or not you have 1% or 51% or 99% faith level. The real question is whether or not you have faith or not. It's, as R.T. France so helpfully puts it, I, I was helped by this. He said, he says, faith, quote, is not a, a measurable commodity, but a relationship. And what achieves results through prayer is not a superior quantity, it's not a, a higher percentage of faith. It's not that, but it's, instead it's the unlimited power of God on which faith, any faith, can draw. You see, if we're thinking about the percentage of our faith, what are we thinking about? What's our focus on? It's on us. I gotta, I gotta muster up a little more, I gotta feel it more. I need to turn on another worship song and, and I got to feel it. And then when, once I get to this emotional place where my faith is strong, just then I'll, I'll say the prayer and God will give me what I want. That's the wrong way to think about it. 
We instead, we need to recognize, we need to look outside of ourselves. We need to recognize, listen, I can do nothing apart from him. It's not about how strong my faith is. It's about the strength of the one to whom I look. And I'm looking to the one who has unlimited power, the one who could move mountains, who could do the impossible. And so Jesus, this is really, I think, uh, what he's getting at with his disciples. He's, He's saying the reason you couldn't cast out this demon is that your faith has, has failed. You, you were not believing me for this. I, I commanded you to do it. I called you to do it. I gave you the authority to do it. But you had no faith for this situation. Now, as we think about that, the disciples, it doesn't seem like their, their faith problem here was like an uncertainty, like, oh, man, I don't know if we can do it, guys. Should we even try? It seems like they were more surprised that they couldn't. So probably how their faith failed here was just a presumption. You know, in Mark's account, um, he, he talks about the need to pray. So maybe they had just, they just grown self-confident, like, oh, yeah, we've, we've got this ability. And they, they, they forgot, they took for granted that this was Jesus' power it's Jesus' authority to cast out demons. Maybe they started growing self-confident as if, hey, maybe I've got these special abilities as if I'm some kind of like magician. I can just do these things, you know, because I'm so special. And so maybe, maybe what God was doing here was allowing them to, to fall on their faces so they realize, wow, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. Well, without faith we too will fail in those things that God calls us to. But, but Jesus ends on a more positive note. He doesn't end with just the littleness of their faith, the, the, the deficiency. But he instead, he, he shows them the possibility of faith. What they can do, that, that with faith, nothing is impossible. And so I want us to turn our attention there before we leave this passage this morning. This is our third point. We, we've asked, why do we fail in what Christ has called us to? We've seen that we fail because our faith fails. But Jesus ends the conversation like this in verse 20. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so this is our third point. Nothing that the Lord calls us to will be impossible if we have faith. My my Christian brother or sister, nothing the Lord calls you to this week will be impossible if you have faith. Now, Jesus is uh, using a figure of speech here. I think that's fairly obvious. He doesn't have in mind that his, his followers will literally rearrange the map, like, you know, Let's move Mount Everest just to show the world how powerful God is. No, this was, a, this was a common figure of speech, moving mountains. It was a way of, and we still use it today, uh, but it's, it's a way of, of expressing, you know, doing the impossible, surmounting the insurmountable, beating the unbeatable. And obviously for ordinary men like Jesus' disciples, common men from small towns, you know, a fisherman, a government employee, for, for guys like that, 
to be casting out demons and healing the sick as Jesus called them to do. Well, that's, that's like moving mountains, right? That's, that's like doing the impossible. But that's exactly what Jesus called them to do. And Jesus also calls us to move mountains. Now, I want to give an important little caveat here. It needs to be said because oftentimes people take this verse and they just take it from its context and they, they kind of use it like this uh, unlimited credit card. Uh, it needs to be said that it's not as though God gives us faith as if it's like this, this blank check to do anything and everything that we want. That's sometimes how, how you'll hear people talk about this, this verse. It, you know, they read, nothing will be impossible, and immediately they start thinking, all right, that means, that means if I have enough faith, I can, I can beat this illness. That means if I have enough faith, I can get my dream car. That means if I have enough faith, I can retire early. That means if I have enough faith, I can be a, a Hall of Fame athlete. But that's not what this means. You know, there are other passages of Scripture that, that are clear. We always have to let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? We can't just take a verse by itself. We have to let the whole Word of God speak. 1 John 5.14 says that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. So if it's not the will of God for you, if it's not something he has called you to do, thus giving you the authority and the command to carry it out, well, you can still ask him for it, but, but you don't have the same guarantee that he's going to say yes. You know, it's fine to ask God for, for you know, different blessings, but, but we, we always must end those prayers as Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done. You know, not, not my will, but yours be done. But if it is according to his will, if it's something that God has clearly told us to do, then we can pray a little bit more confidently that, God, you have told me to do this. You have promised me strength to do this. And so I am asking you for it now. Lord, give me this boldness that I need to do your will. Give me the strength needed. And we can know for sure that God will always answer those prayers with a yes in his timing. So, so let's, let's think about this for a moment, though. You know, Jesus, he told his apostles, he gave them the authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Um, but this principle is for us as well. Even, even if we maybe have not been called to do those same things that the apostles did in their unique role as the, as the 12 witnesses of the Lord Jesus, Still, as Christians, as the members of Emmanuel Baptist Church, as followers of Christ this morning, God has called us to do things in our lives, in our everyday lives, that are like moving mountains. If we really look at what God wants us to do, how he wants us to live as Christians, as his ambassadors in this world, part of us will, will look at that and will say, I, I can't do that. That's impossible. Lord, like, really? You want me to love my enemies? Like, like, not just avoid lashing out at them or cussing them out, not just, not just ignoring them. You want, me to, you want me to love them? Like, I can't just, I can't just flip a switch and just, and just feel genuine love for somebody. 
Well, no, you can't in your strength. That's, that's like moving a mountain. But what about in God's strength? What if you ask him for the help? Lord, I can't, how am I going to give thanks in all circumstances? 1 Thessalonians 5.18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How, how can I do that? I mean, do you, do you see how hard my life is? Do you see the, the pain that I feel in my body and in my mind every day? Do you see the stress that I have to deal with? You, you want me to give thanks in all circumstances? That's, I'm telling you, that's like moving a mountain. That is moving a mountain. You know, I think what, more often than not, what we do is we look at that and we, we just kind of say, well, I'm a sinner. You know, thank God for his grace. You know, he, he forgives me. And then, that's true. He does, he's so patient with us. He does forgive us. But that's still, brother and sister in Christ, that still doesn't release us from our calling. He, he wants us. He really does want us to give thanks in all circumstances. And he really can help you to be a genuinely grateful person. That your, your, your thankfulness isn't dependent on whether or not the sun is shining in your life. He really can make you a grateful person. Do you believe it? Do you believe he can do that? What about the, uh, the temptations that we face, you know, to, to lust or to the, the inordinate love of comfort, to laziness, to, uh, you know, different substances that, that give us pleasure, but that dull our attention to the joys of God and to the needs of others. You know, sometimes we think that maybe if we could just remove ourselves from the world and get away from those temptations, that then, you know, then we could, then we could avoid falling into those those harmful and sinful patterns. But, you know, if the temptation comes, it is so powerful. I'm just this helpless victim, and what can I do? Like, can I really be blamed if I give in? Can I really be blamed if I fall under such pressure? But Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has given you his own Holy Spirit to live with, within you. God himself is living within you, giving you his infinite power to do his will. And, and what does he say to us as believers? He says, sin will have no dominion over you. He says, let not sin therefore reign like a king in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You, you have the power to say no. And he, he has the power to help you move whatever mountain of addiction is in your life. You may not be able to do it on your own, but God, with God, all things are possible. Nothing will be impossible to you if you believe. If you're struggling with some, some hidden pattern of addiction this morning, maybe, maybe nobody knows about it but you and, of course, God, I want, I want you to, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, if you're a Christian, Ask God for his help. Read his word. Think about Romans 6, 12. And then take Jesus' instructions and do whatever it takes to be free from it. Fight it. You can say no. You can have victory. This is part of what the local church is for. We're here to help one another. And so, 
So find someone in the church that you trust and say, hey, listen, I need help. I need help. And I believe that God can help me. I can't beat this on my own, but I believe he can help me, and I believe that, that this is what the, the body of Christ is for. We're to help one another so that none of us are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, there are many things, I could go on and on, but there are many things that would be impossible in our own strength, many mountains that God will call you to move in your life this week. You can't do it on your own, but you can in his strength. Why do we fail? Because our faith fails. But if we believe, if we look to Christ, nothing will be impossible for us. Nothing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning that you, you not only have saved us from the punishment of our sin, but you save us from the power of sin. And you call us to this high calling to live as your ambassadors, even in this world. And oh Lord, we cannot do it on our own. Help us not to be presumptuous and self-confident and think that we've got it. Help us not to be fearing and doubtful that we, there's just no way, I'm just too weak. Lord, yes, we are weak. We are too weak, but you are strong and you promise us your help. Lord, help us to look to you. Help us to believe. Help us to look to you and to grow uh, and, and be strengthened in our, in our walk with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.